0: Hi there and welcome to Raising Resilient Teens, the podcast version. My name is Sasha Lester and I'm so grateful you're here with me today where we talk about all things teenagers, raising teenagers and the joys that go with it. With that, let's kick it off. Hello there and welcome back to another episode of Raising Resilient Teens. My name is Sasha Lester and today I'm joined by Ms. Peggy Green all the way from Denver, Colorado in the United States of America. Peggy is a grief coach, speaker and author and over the next 45 minutes or so, Peggy is potentially going to be one of the hardest podcasts I've held. We're going to be talking about processing and working through the suicide of your teenagers. I know that this is a topic that kind of hidden under the rugs a little bit and Peggy I do have some questions jotted down but we'll just let the conversation roll see where it leads to all the listeners out there we've had a few minutes chatting before and you're just going to love this episode because totally listenable I've shared with that this morning Peggy, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Tell us a little bit about you, what you do. And um, yeah, we'll go from there.
1: Yeah. Well, Sasha, I want to thank you so much for inviting me. This is exciting from Australia to the United States. And that's what technology has done for us. And it's really quite the honor to be able to share my story, my message, and to be able to inspire others and give them hope as they go through trauma and tragedies in their life. And as we spoke earlier, one of the things that drew you to inviting me to be on your podcast was my recent book. And in that is titled Survive Your Child Suicide, How to Move Through Grief to Healing. And that title is very explanatory, self-explanatory in being able to navigate the loss of my son's suicide in 2018. However, that is on the heels of, in 1991, having a nine-month-old daughter pass away in a daycare accident. So I'm a two-time child loss survivor and in between those losses, I've experienced the death of both my parents and my sister at only 53 and other family members and then at least three other young adults including a niece to suicide and it's been a journey in getting to the point of writing a book, but it's a cum- accumulation of personal, skills and life experiences in between being in the health and wellness field, working in nutrition and professional experiences as um, a wellness coach and understanding and studying personal development and how we think and respond and the choices that we make. That's what's really driven me to be able to write books and want to help others because in 1991 I tell you Sasha there was not much help the resources were limited child death was most definitely the elephant in the room and then without a whole lot of help and it was through my mom and sister who was able to help me and a few close friends but as far as grief groups or books to read um it wasn't spoken about including her father and then when my son Connor died in 2000 2018, my mom sister both had passed, and knowing how tough it was for me to make it through the first time, I looked for some things. I went to some grief groups and found they didn't work for me, and so I said, well, you know what? I've got experience. I've got life experiences, and that's what my books are about is personal experiences, which have been the tools and resources to help me get through this, and so I have one of those things that I have as a tools and resource is the desire to live from my two living daughters and I have two grandchildren and a third one on the way and so I'm excited to see those and to leave a legacy, and that legacy is to serve others, to help others through a traumatic time, to support them when they need it. And it's been an amazing journey, not a journey I would have chosen, but it's one that I've decided to take, make a decision, and help others because I know that I can and I do.
0: So the death it's such a such a strong subject the the death of your first child at nine months due to the daycare accident the second of your teenage child like the age difference was so so different and the time between was so different and what did you pull from i suppose the first incident to the second and and what changed what made the difference i suppose
1: yeah and that's a a question i've even struggled with and pondered and reflected on a lot so my son was actually 24 and so from 2018 to 1991 that's 27 years and some of the big differences I found was that Courtney my first child was only nine months and I had a limited time with her less relationship um and it was an accident, not something that I was responsible for, but it was an accident. And I was also in a place, she was my first child and, and her father and I had planned to have more children and they weren't definitely not replacements, but we had a future to think about and our plan was to have more children, in which we did. And then Connor was 24 and I was done having kids. And that was his choice to end his life. And to understand suicide has been just it has been a challenge. Suicide's messy, complicated. It's complex. So many times with that choice that there can be pain, mental suffering, physical pain. And from the research that I have done, Sasha, it is more about them wanting to get out of that pain that they're experiencing. And if that pain is physical or mental in the pain not to end their life because they might feel like they're just backed into this corner and just don't know how to get And So the types of death very different the length of time I had with my daughter versus my son. So with my son, I had many more life experiences with him. We had done so many more things and I had really actually spoken and dreamed about the future of him getting married and having kids. And so that was just quite different in losing that future of course I lost the future with Courtney but it was just so short-lived and with suicide it's just been really wrapping my head around the thought that he made this decision and in his circumstance he had some suffering but he kept it to himself which is so common when someone makes that choice they are suffering and they don't share their suffering and they don't know that they're backed into that corner sometimes or that there's even help. They don't realize that you don't know what you don't know. And I think that's
0: a huge piece. And that was one of my questions as well. Did you did you see any signs of of him struggling? Did you did you know the pain that he was going through?
1: You know, Sasha, he was twenty four and he moved out when he was seventeen. And in today's day, day and age, that's really hard to do without having been financially prepared. Yeah. <laughs> (laughs) You move out and need first month's rent and then be able to pay your utilities and your insurance and stuff. And so I think that he started out behind the eight ball when it came to finances and then some relationships that had been rocky and I think they all came to a head at one time, some difficulties at work. And I don't think when he woke up that morning, his intention was to take his life. I think it was the straw that broke the camel's back and he had dropped some hints to some friends and family and scattered some of those hints he had actually made arrangements for one of his friends to take care of his dog and he was impacted greatly by his cousin's suicide she was a twin and he built on his bedroom wall a memorial of her you know pamphlet of of her memorial and pictures and a bracelet that was distributed so he memorialized her and i think that that was part of it and unfortunately sasha the circumstances and the statistics go up somebody has been exposed to suicide as a solution Mm -hmm. and it's um because we see that it's like well okay they're out of their pain now and mine is pretty bad so i'm gonna do it as well and so being exposed to that and his older sister her best friend and several and another one of her friends all also died by suicide by the time he was 17 he had 3 kids under 18 take their lives And so seeing that as the solution. But on the outside, he was a happy-go-lucky kind of guy. He would do anything for friends, jeopardize his job to help them move, or he loved dogs and he loved to skateboard. So it wasn't anything that was, I could feel that he was depressed and that he spoke about and cried out for help. So all of his signs and symptoms in our situation were definitely concealed. And whether that was intentional on his part or not, but they were. However, in other circumstances, with mental health a parent may see that a child needs help and to get them help and that they need to be willing to do that and it's 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 a tough thing to do. So suicide can impact happy people. When we look at people like one that really impacted me was the actor and comedian Robin Williams when he took his own life. And so here's nice. this yeah. actor, you know, and, and that he has made that choice because something was haunting him. There was yeah. some sort of internal pain and in that he couldn't express it because there may have been
0: shame associated with that. He's like, hey,
1: I'm this comedian and I can't confess that
0: I'm in pain. So let me just stop. So the, so the two books that you've written to date, and usually once you've written a few, there's a few more in the, in the pipeline. Um, you've written those in order to help others, but has it also been very healing for you as well?
1: Oh, very much so. I never would have considered myself to be an author and in the story, the way it started is quite interesting, Sasha. When Connor passed away, I started we'll just call it blogging on Facebook sharing my journey. I, I even made the announcement of his passing and because he was active on Facebook his older sister and I were in so we posted that information and then shared his memorial service and something just I shared what was going on with me personally. This is rough. This is tough. This is terrible. And really being vulnerable and sharing my emotions and my feelings. In somewhere about four months, I saw a shift in what I was blogging about. Yes, I was continuing to blog and how messy and how terrible things were, but I also started blogging about what I was doing and what was helping and how I was able to step into this and move forward. And as I progressed through this, I had friends and family on Facebook say, this is helping me. This is helping me through my grief. And their grief could have been due to a relationship breakup or the loss of another loved one, not necessarily to suicide, or even to a job or a pay- because they were experiencing that grief, the loss. But the tips that I was offering that I was working through is what helped. So it helped in any circumstance. And when I realized I was helping others, I decided I made a commitment to journal a year, to blog on it for a year. But I carried it through to 13 months because Connor's date of death is December 14. And I just couldn't feel like I could stop then. So I went through until January. So 13 months that I did that. And then I transitioned into writing Thursday Thoughts once a week. I publish a Thursday Thoughts. You can sign up for that on my website. Go through all kinds of different things on grief. While I was in that first year, people are saying, well, write a book you need to write a book. Well, I've never thought about that. Yeah. How can I be writing this? But I did. And when I look back at those first 365 days, that's also available in the raw, unedited with pictures and everything on that journey. And you can see the progress that I was making and how I was healing. So I took Really in, and summarized those things that I was using and put those into my first book, which is Life After Child Loss, The Mother Survival Guide to Cope and Find Joy, in which I cover some of the topics in, in are covered in both books, but in my second book it's much more in depth. In the first one, talking about dealing with that elephant in the room, just as we spoke. How do you work through some your loved ones' possessions? How do you have get support, finding your tribe? And then even finding that hope and using grief as an impetus for personal growth in coming out of this. And so, yes, it was very cathartic, but, and I use stories that I experienced that I went through. So you see, it's not like a textbook style and it's coming from somebody who's from the heart. I'm not licensed as a psychologist or professional, come from life experiences. And sometimes I think that those are much more valuable because I've walked in people's shoes and I've been there in. then I can walk beside them. And then my second book really was quite interesting is I had mentioned I had attended a grief group and didn't resonate with me. So I thought I'll create my own because now time has passed. I'm also seeing some different things that I've done in being able to work through my grief. I assembled that and it didn't work out in presenting it for working through my church, multiple reasons. But then when I looked at it, I was like, wow, this is my book. This is my book. And so that's where it was honed into, I have three different phases of moving through grief to healing in which I um, talk about acceptance. And within there talking about giving yourself permission to grieve, permission to heal.
0: And, so that's and stage I, one, acceptance.
1: Yeah, um, yep. in the first phase. And even learning to understand Suicide. I spend a fair amount of time talking about the the who, what, where, how when and then even the why and they go into a little bit more detail on that and, and the I why think,
0: questions are sometimes so hard to answer because you you actually don't get the answers like you'll never know the answers to the why questions
1: you don't it's like well why don't I see the signs why didn't they talk to me why did they do this you know why 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 and if we can come to terms and accept that we won't know those answers mm. and leave it with what we know except that that's it And it depends on your beliefs, if you'll see them in heaven or not, and you can ask them again, or, (laughs) um, you know, you can come to your own conclusions, but it's one of those things to accept it and let go of wanting and needing to know more answers
0: was there ever a stage that you felt that you couldn't push through at all you know I would say more so in
1: the beginning that I recall one of my Facebook posts it was I I had a tendency to do a lot more grieving in my car while I was driving um
0: what about in the shower um, when it's raining did you know mine no. My, no mine
1: came when I was driving um yeah and that's when I would experience said. i actually had a friend that i would call she was my crying friend and this was all happening during covid and and i just say all i need you to do is listen to me cry yeah. i need to know that you're there and that's when i cried but i had a picture of me just saying this is the face of grief i mean my face was red my eyes were swollen you know my hair was a mess and some of those days it's like i just that pain was so so horrific. Yeah, there's questions of like, am I going to make it through this? I knew that I would, but it they were crappy days. And when, you know, sometimes those are days that I would just then fall into bed and cry myself to sleep. And it, but also knowing that I have a desire to live life, I have two girls. And I also feel that this is something my son would want me to do in helping others and serve others through our experience together. So this is definitely, it's been hard, and I still have days when And I'm like, what did this? We never fully get through it. The pain gets less and the frequency diminishes, but Mm -hmm. it still happens. Yet knowing that I have something, I have a purpose. And this is something that has grassed through time in wanting to be able to help others through this. But I know that Connor would want me to be doing
0: it. I often say to friends, and I was just talking to a client just before, that we're only dealt with the situation's that we can truly handle and seriously you've been dealt with a fair amount um would you agree with that statement that you're only dealt with what we can really handle
1: you know to a degree I think it's um some people say that with in a biblical reference and I don't know if that's where you're coming from on that but we really can make that decision on how we're going to deal with it and we can make that decision to not accept it and curl up on the couch and spend our the rest of our lives and in desperation and depression or make a choice and go, we can still live. Suicide is that choice, but death is part of that circle of life. And unfortunately, Sasha, there is no guarantee that a child is going to outlive us. And that whole thing of, you know, years ago, 50, 100 years ago, that we had children dying because of illnesses and families, farmers have 10 children. And by the time the children were 10, half of them had passed away due to illnesses. And so I believe as modern medicine has progressed that we've come to this idea that children don't die before we do. And um, I've been exposed to that in between my first daughter passing away, my sister passed away before my mother, and my sister actually had a daughter Um, who passed away from um, an auto accident with a drunk driver. So even within my own family that we've seen that.
0: A lot of time when when there is a death, people simply don't know what to say. Um and I'll raise my hand to that. I'm I'm one of those people that, you know, when there when there is a death, it's like I've I've just got no words. Um what can people say to someone in your situation of um, you know, where there has been a suicide in the in the family?
1: Yeah, I'll go with both with two answers on that. And one is some things to say and some things to not say or ask. Also Yeah. And the thing is, is that it depends on the individual. I have opened the door to this elephant in the room, especially when I was writing my first book. I came across one woman in particular who I'd known for a year and a half. And when I started talking about writing my book, it came forth that she had lost a child in a stillbirth. She really didn't talk about it. She felt that if she did, she would impose her grief on other people. But by having that conversation, we were able to open up that door and allowed her to speak about her child. And I think many, and I'll speak to moms, want to talk about their child. So if we were just, let's say that we met in line standing at, Um, a local coffee shop and and this conversation came up. Oh, what do you do? I'm an author, a grief coach. And, you know, I said, oh, my son died by suicide. Um, I think it would be inappropriate for you to say, well, how did he die? What did he do? Um, For me, that's something I choose not to share, but you may come across somebody else who wants to share exactly. For me, I would love for you to say, you've said a few things about your son. He sounds like a great guy. I would like to hear more. Tell me more. Let me get to know him through your eyes as as a mother. And to say that you're sorry for the loss, most definitely. And I find when people say, I can't imagine, especially with moms, that they reflect inward and imagine losing their own child. And I see this sadness. That comes from them when they say that and i'm not asking people to imagine just understand that it's a, a rough road and and say yeah that that's terrible that is a difficult journey i'm sorry that that's happened to you and helping me to do that is to talk about my son and to be for people who've lost a child do something simple buy them a gift card take them to dinner buy them dinner take somebody out for a walk call them go sit by them and just sit in silence and Hold a hand, hug. And if they have other children, possibly offer them experience to take the other children. Depends on how young they are. It's like, okay, here's a gift card to the local pizza place in games. After Courtney passed away, I had a friend who sent me a card once a month, just thinking of you, thinking about you think about Courtney and I tell you I have done that multiple times and just to let somebody know that I'm thinking about them because after the first two weeks so many times the the hubbub around the death and the memorial dies away and your support system they go back to their own
0: lives it's it's kind of almost like um at that 12 month mark you know people kind of I don't know whether they expect that you're kind of over it but it's is it them is it a magical time frame that everyone imposes on it that like oh it's been 12 months you've got through the first 12 months um you're good to go like I'm sure that that's not it but there's that hidden 12 month thing is did you find that
1: that 12 month mark is a good one for me because and then that way I know I've gotten through the first birthday the first mother's day I've gotten through the first Christmas the first New Year's my birthday his birthday their birthday um and that's a huge one for me to be able to just that off um and say you know I I know I've made it through the first year but I also continue to progress during that time period.
0: And not everybody does that. So it's important for people to really to keep those communications up and those check-ins, etc. after those 12 months, because that's like, as you say, when, you know, that support or those check-ins kind of drop off a little
1: bit. Yeah, a- absolutely. This may seem hard to wrap your head around, but when as a grieving mom, and I've seen this with other my coaching clients that it feels like the world should stop because our world has stopped. Everybody around us should be stopping and grieving with me and paying attention and saying, Yes, I know that you're grieving, but it doesn't because they return to their lives, they return to their families, they return to... And I think one of the things is that I've seen this is that grieving moms have had that expectation that everybody still yet remembers all these small details. And I think it's when we have an expectation that somebody's going to remember these small details, then we're disappointed with our support group. But until we share that, like, okay, my son's anniversary date, his heavenly birthday date. Well, if I don't share it and talk about it, then I can't expect others. But if it's it goes it can be almost that passive aggressive thing well nobody recognized that it was his anniversary date but I didn't remind anybody I didn't mention it but it's that expectation that when we lay that out and expect others to be have their world stop along with ours that's what makes it difficult for somebody who's grieving because then we have all these emotions that go along with anger and disappointment with our support group so it's I believe that it takes communication from somebody who's grieving also to communicate what they need and being. The to say, well, I need to talk about my son, I need to go to his memorial, um, You know, I need somebody to you know take a walk with me because I've had a tough day, or I need somebody to listen to me cry. <laughs> I think that's one of the things that we need to be able to do is express our needs.
0: You, s- you said earlier in the interview that the grief group that you were attending, it didn't work. Um, do you feel that it didn't work for you in particular, or it just wasn't delivering the right message, or it wasn't the right group for you
1: well i know that this is quite the popular group and and i don't know if it's um just for me it was an alternative to try because there weren't there still aren't the support groups for me in particular i was being a two-time child loss survivor and then having my son die by suicide. So in this particular group was um, mostly spouses, older spouses, and there were a couple younger ones, but nobody by suicide, no children. And the format was very formal and it came from licensed professionals didn't really convey that they had the same life experiences. So somebody was trying to teach me how to do something or how to move through this without having experienced the same thing I had. And that was my personal experience. I don't know about the other people. I also felt like they were not, the group is a continuous group. And and, and I started after it had been in session for a couple of months, but I also felt that others were stuck after attending some of those, that the conversation was cyclical and just coming back and that um, they hadn't moved forward in there. And I knew that I needed to move forward, and so the group didn't work for me. And that was why I started with the program. I was going to work through my church, and then eventually came my book.
0: You, You mentioned that you journaled for... 13 months. Journaling is a big part of the program that I teach. How does how did journaling help you then? How much did you do? Were you strict in your regime that it was, you know, you did it in the morning and you sat, you know, at a specific location or was it just I just need to journal right now to get it all out? And I'm a big journal believer. I I just love it. Yeah. You know, and Sasha, I think it is one of the most
1: underused tools. Don't you agree?
0: Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs>
1: It is so underused um, because what happens is that we get all these thoughts that are trapped in our head, confusion, desperation, and not knowing what the next step is. And we can't separate it. And when it's written down, you can actually visualize it and go, oh, I'm thinking that. And sometimes actually what can happen with that too is you may look at that and go on paper, it doesn't look nearly as bad as it feels in my head.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: and taking that out. And so it's, it's a free flow. I would journal most of the time in the morning. I would crawl back into bed with a cup of tea and with my journal and really write about my thoughts and what had been happening and feeling <clears throat> that I wasn't. <clears throat> excuse me. I wasn't crazy. That what I was feeling was you know some anger and and um, sadness, but that I had normal feelings and emotions. And it was huge. I mean, I have journaled for years as well, and and even in. In quote unquote good times because then I can reflect and go oh yeah that's what worked that was something that was really cool that happened to me and I too use that when I work with clients and sometimes I give them a prompt something to think about to help them get through it but it's a free flow of your thoughts it's a brain dump where you just write everything down and just write and write and write and sometimes I just suggest that people set aside, especially when they just start journaling. You may need to set aside an hour or two just to write down all these. I mean, one of the things I found that has been extremely helpful suicide is when the suicide loss survivor finds out about this, what's happened, what they were doing, what they were thinking, what time it was, what the weather was like, what they were wearing, down to those exact conversations. And at night, I have found that people have a tendency to ruminate through all these thoughts and play them over and over and over and over in their head and that prohibits them from sleeping and I have found by having them write down those details down to everything that they keep playing in your thought that once it's on paper they don't have to remember it, it frees up their mind to focus on sleep and, and other activities which takes some of that pain away because now it's written down on paper and it's not going to be forgotten. Gotten. I found that I think subconsciously we want to remember those details as part of remembering our loved one, remembering our child, but it's unfair to us to want to do that. So once we get that brain dump, all those details gives us space to be able to move forward.
0: I've, that kept, is just- a, I've kept a diary since I was oh, like seven because my dad and my grandfather used to do it. And I find I've kind of morphed the two together now. Um, you know, a, a total recap of the day, but then further adding in my thoughts and feelings about everything that's going on. So my, my daily journal slash diary entry is is quite long. So um, and and I love I've loved that I love that you did it for um for such a for such a long length of time and and dedicated to it. You may or may not be able to answer this question. When my son was going through all of his um, dramas at school, he was getting suspended. Um, There was a show on Netflix, 13 Reasons Why. Do you know of that show? I'm not familiar with that one. Okay, so, okay. No, no, don't worry because I'll take that question out completely. So in closing, Peggy, is there, what's one thing that, I suppose, a tip, if you like, that you can share with, Someone that has gone through the loss of a child, whether that be recent or some time ago.
1: That is, there are so many things I think that can really help. And I find that if we can accept that this has happened, give ourselves that permission to move forward and that we'll be okay and that we're Mm -hmm. meant to be able to learn to live a life, it's a new norm, and to embrace that which has happened and make that conscious decision. To be able to choose to live life as it was intended, yes, it may be without Our child, but we're still able to live. Give yourself that permission.
0: So, really, permission to grieve, acceptance of that it's happened, but also permission to live life and keep moving forward.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We're meant to. Like I said, death is part of the circle of life, and and other people have done it. They've made it through or have survived it, and you can too. And I mean, as I've gone through the magnitude of my losses, I know. That it can be done.
0: Thank you, Peggy. Thank you so much for sharing your story, snippets of your story. Um, and so glad to have you on my show. I, I really do appreciate it. Thank you.
1: Well, and thank you. And you know, just to let your listeners know as well, Sasha, if this is something that resonates with them and if they want to have a conversation with me, additional assistance is that, as you mentioned, I'm a grief coach and I offer a consultation to find out what it's about and how it can actually help you and you can sign up for that on my website and that's simply the griefspecialist.com I believe you'll put that in the notes Probably. but reach out to me reach out to me because sometimes we just don't have that support I know what it's like but I've walked in your shoes as well I feel that we can make that connection and I can be there to support you
0: thank you thank you so much yes thank you And just like that, it's a wrap. I hope you've enjoyed the last 20 or so minutes and have walked away with some golden nuggets of information. If you'd like to join our Raising Resilient Teens Facebook group, the link will be in the comments. And until next time, ciao!